A reading from Deuteronomy chapter 38, uh, the 15th uh, verse through the 20th verse. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I'm commanding you today, by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways, and observing his commandments, decrees, and ordinances, then you shall live and become numerous, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not hear, but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving your God, loving the Lord your God, obeying him and holding fast to him. For that means life to you and length of days so that you may live in the land that the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. The word of the Lord. You know, if this was my front door, side door of my house, this is the front door of my office. So my commute is this. Then I go home, I Google traffic, I check if I need to go to the bathroom, then I go all the way back. Now a lot of you think, oh, that's fantastic, you don't have to commute. But I go a little stir crazy living and working within a block of each other where I go, oh, this is driving me nuts. So there's times that I decide that I want to go for a drive. And if you go for a drive in Los Angeles, you have to do it after 10 or before 1. Because if you do it anything, you'll be stuck in traffic and there's no driving. It's called sitting. <laughs> so I decided to go south on the 405 freeway. I went west on the Long Beach freeway all the way to San Pedro. And I said, this is gorgeous. And I was looking at the big ships and fascinated with boats because I'm old been fascinated with ships, and I decided that I was going to drive up the coast to home. And so I came across this park, and I want to show you this park. And I got this idea, because I go, ooh, this would be kind of cool to have an Easter sunrise service with that view. Nobody would pay attention to you when you're speaking, <laughs> right? And then if you look at this next one, this is where my contentment and my peace and happiness went. Because somebody has this view in Palos Verdes. And I'm thinking, it's not me. The only view I have is my office. That's it. Can you imagine having a view like that? And then in my head to say, you know, I would be happy. I would sit out on the patio with my wife, because my wife wouldn't have to work. And so all of a sudden we think, oh my goodness, get a phone call. Well, why don't you come over here and pray? I don't need to go over there. And so all of a sudden we think, if we had this, if we had that, if we had this, then I would be extremely content and I would be happy. But here's the, if you've done any studying, you'll find out that's not the case. Because in 2011, there was an article from Atlantic called The Secret Fears of the Super Rich. They did not call me to be interviewed. Why? Because I'm not rich, let alone super rich, okay? 
why doesn't anyone talk to me about this? But anyway, if you look on the screen, it says, does great wealth bring fulfillment? An ambition study of the Boston College suggests not. For the first time, researchers prompt the very rich, people with fortunes in excess of 25 million, to speak candidly about their lives. The result of surprising litany and anxiety, their sense of isolation, their worries about work and their love, and most of all, their fears for their children. Now that shocks me because if you read about the article, all the families they interviewed, their combined, not the combined, their average net worth was $75 million each. Can you imagine? I, I, they, they don't worry about their FICO score like I do. I mean, I'm sitting there, you know, Jennifer on Wells Fargo, her account, and mine on Chase's account. Chase drives me nuts, and I know Maria works for Chase, but when they send me a stupid thing that says, your FICO score's been updated, I get nervous. And Chase always does this. It has this loop that all of a sudden, it just stops at 398 for about five seconds, and then it moves. So when it goes to 398, you go, oh man, I'm a failure. And then it moves up to where it should be, and I go, why does Chase do that? Am I the only one that notices that? It drives me nuts. And so we know they're not worried about their FICO score because they're not financing their Nissan Sentra for 72 months, and they're not worried about going, getting low interest. So for me, I'm thinking, why in the world would you be worried? But in the article, it talks about how they feel that the wealth alienates them. They feel their wealth, wealth isolates them. They feel their wealth, wealth will affect their kids. And I go, duh. I wish I was a Rockefeller, but I'm a Robertson, so I'm not a spoiled rich kid. And so it's interesting when we look at this, how it affects them, that you think about this, that if we in the United States, since 2008, our economy has been growing tremendously. We are the richest country in the world. We have more money than anything, than any country in the world. Our stock market is through the roof. Unemployment is incredibly down right now. So you would think that we would be the happiest country in the world because we're the wealthiest country in the world. It ain't so. There's so much divisiveness within the country right now, so much anger within the country right now. And so you look at this since in the last two years, how the economy has been going up steadily, but our happiness has been going down steadily in those 10 years. Believe it or not, they have a happiness, in fact, I put on the screen, the World Happiness Report. And, and basically, they did this study in the last report in 2019, which is only a year ago. The U.S. fell to its lowest ranking ever at the, at the 19th happiest country in the world, while we ranked first in the world's gross domestic product, $20.49 trillion. We are by far not the happiest country in the world. Is that crazy? You know what the unha most unhappiest country in the world is? Your pastor and wife been there, Southern Sudan. Southern Sudan. And so you look at this, this is where, when you look at the book of wisdom here, with the book of Ecclesiastics, he's known as the teacher. And he writes this to young people and he talks about this. Now mind you, this is in the Old Testament. This is like four or 5,000 years ago. And talking about how we need to hear it right now. This is what he says. 
But when I surveyed all my hands had done and what I worked so hard to achieve, I realized, get this, it was pointless. A chasing after wind, nothing to be gained under the sun. So basically, she's saying this wealth is pointless. And the happiness with wealth is pointless. Basically, it's like chasing the wind. I don't know if you tell your kids, go chase the wind. You can't catch it, you know that, because I've tried it. Because <laughs> my wife always tells me, go chase the wind. I go, okay. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, he is the Lord, isn't he? And so this is what I believe he's, he's saying. And I'll put it in our, own, our modern language. If you spend your life trying to buy happiness, you'll end up disappointed and sad. It will be one big wasted attempt to catch something as uncatchable as wind. Now we've come to the last, um, last of our series called The Joy of Financial Freedom. And the title can be deceiving because I put it on the screen. At first glance, it may seem that joy is tied up with having enough money to declare yourself to be financial free. Rather, it has a lot more to do with being free of the lure of money. Now, this is what our society teaches us and what I've embraced since I was young, that my self-worth is connected to my net worth. So what happens, the more wealthy I become, then I'm more, I feel better about myself. Look, I'm keeping up with the Joneses. Or look, I can buy a home. Or look, I can do this. And so therefore, when 2008 hit the recession, then all of a sudden we lose houses, we lose this, we lose our pension and stuff like that, then our self-worth is back down. And so this is where we learn in our society, this is not true of, of, of what true happiness is, because then happiness goes like this, joy, fulfillment goes like this. And so then how do we find happiness, or what the Word of God says, the good life? And so in the Old Testament reading, which was advice to the ones that were on their way to the promised land. They were fleed, uh, freed from slavery. And so this is right before they enter the promised land. It says this, if you obey the commandments of the Lord, your God, I'm commanding you today by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways, observing his commandments, degrees and ordinance, then you shall live and become numerous. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying him and holding fast to him, for that means life to you and the length of the days. So basically, in order to get the good life, what's it saying? That I've got to love God and be obedient to his commands. That's the definition in the word of God to have the good life. Now that's a fascinating to me because as Christians we go, oh my goodness. If that's the answer, it's really simple. But that's what it is, it's choosing to love others. Choosing to obey the commands of God and choosing to love practical. Now love, what the Bible talks about, is based on choices, not based on feelings, right? Because if my wife or your spouse loved you just based on feelings, there are times that she ain't gonna love you. Because love's a choice, right? It's a choice. 
And the thing is, I was telling this in my Saturday night uh, church group, that basically there's times that I love Jesus so much, it's a choice. It seldom is a feeling. Because if I base my whole spiritual life on feelings, I'm all over the place. But it's a choice. So on the screen, so loving God is always tied to following God's commandments to treat ourselves and others lovingly, which is to do what is in our collective best interests. So when I truly love you, I love you whatever the best in, your best interests are. It's not an erotic love, self-centered love. So then you look at the word happy. All of us want to be happy, right? I mean, who wants to say, you know, my goal is to be miserable the rest of my life. Okay, no one wants to be with you. That's why, because I want to be miserable. But Psalm starts off and says the word happy. It says this, happy are those who are blameless. Okay, who walk in the law of the Lord. He's saying the same thing what Deuteronomy is saying. Happy are those who keep the degrees, who seek him in their whole heart, who also do, not, do no wrong, but walk in his ways. So David's getting this. The happy are the ones that are obedient. The happy are the ones that follow the degrees. Here again, happiness is tied up to obedience. So in the gospel reading, if you look at this, you know, he said, if you think of, a, think of lust of a woman, you've already committed adultery, you go, oh, shoot. Okay, I can't look. I can't see anything. I go walk around and stuff like this. But it's interesting, he says this, puts on the screen, you have heard it said, and then he goes, but I say to you. That's in the Sermon on the Mount, it's very repetitive. I say, this is what you read, but I say to you. And you look at this and you go, man, he's really taking this to a higher level. Like the Old Testament's hard enough, but man, he's taking this crazy. But that's not the case, and I want you to follow me on this. Jesus is changing the motivation from an external law that must be followed to an internal heart motivation that is freely chosen out of love. Basically saying is, look, I get it. Like, thou shalt not murder. I'm telling you right now, I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't killed anybody. Not yet. <laughs> but my heart, my intention, my contentment, my anger has. And so Jesus is saying, that external law that you're obeying, Kevin, do not murder, make it eternal. Make it eternal. Follow me on this. If you look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, Jesus quotes, and it's on the thing, one of the Ten Commandments, you shall not murder. That is an external command which must be followed. But that Jesus talks about the attitude of heart, where murder begins with contempt for another human being. We murder people with our unloving, dismissive attitude, words, and actions. We kill them off. If you're a Republican, you do it with the Democrats. If you're a Democrat, you do it with the Republicans. And so Jesus is saying, stop it. It's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. And so this is important for us. Jesus isn't about following God's commandments as have-tos. But when it comes to an eternal thing in the heart, it's I want to. I love Jesus so much that I want to follow him. I want to obey him. I mean, he's giving me life. He's giving me purpose. This is tearing my heart apart. Because I'm telling you right now, do you have contentment? Contentment. No, it's, what's the other word? 
Is contentment content? Contempt. See, 99% of you go, you're on your own on this one. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. What is he saying? I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> so, but the thing is, this is where Jesus talks about real love and practical ways of loving one another. Now, this is in verse 34, and I love this, because Jesus had the Sadducees like speechless. And so I want you to follow me on this one. 34. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had left the Sadducees speechless, they met together. One of them, a legal expert. You know, legal experts, they think, oh, what? They get really cocky and they think they know everything. So they challenge Jesus because they're perfect in legal things. So they're testing Jesus here, okay? And Jesus is, okay. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Verse 37, he, he replied, you must, okay, this is great. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your being and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like this. You must love your neighbor as, as you love yourself. All the laws and the prophets depend on these two, two commandments. You know what Jesus just did? There are hundreds and hundreds of laws in the Old Testament. Jesus just figured out that quick what all those laws point to. And he put all those laws in two laws. And basically, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love one another. Bam! Knocked it out. So they thought, ooh. Then they'll go, well, maybe this doesn't work. Maybe this doesn't work. Look on the screen. Love God, self, and neighbor. The kind of love Jesus talked about is not a feeling. It is an action that flows from the heart and that has been changed. Love of God, self, and neighbor are not three different acts of love. They happen simultaneously because, they are, they were, because we were created to be one of God's and each other. The good life Jesus speaks of happens when we live in his type of love. Now, this is where pastors try to sound intelligent when they start speaking about Greek. So I'm going to start speaking about Greek because I know you guys think I'm super intelligent. Well, that's, who did the, mm-hmm? Oh, man, did you feel, <laughs> mm-hmm? No judgment, only love, okay? <laughs> Just saying to you guys, God, mm-hmm, wait until. But in the Greek, they use the Greek word three times for love, but one of those words is used a lot. And the word zoe is used 275 times in the New Testament. It means the fullness of love, real life, or what we call genuine life. It's the kind of flourishing life God intends for humanity. In that sense, it is what we would call the good life. Jesus defines such a life as being rich of love. Not rich in material, rich in love. Jesus basically said the mission was to bring Zoe or real life. Look at verse 10. He even challenges us on this. The thief enters only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that you will have life indeed so that you could live life. And he uses the word Zoe to the fullest. The fullest of life. 
And Jesus said that he is the source of life. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life, using the word zoe, the fullness of life. So we have to determine if we're going to follow the American path to the good life and end up spending our lives chasing the wind or trust that Jesus' way is the truth path to the good life. Will we seek to be rich only in material wealth or rich in love? It's interesting to me, and, and I, I want to challenge you guys on this. There's such thing as called positivity psychology. Now, you may think, oh, my goodness, you're going all, way off here. Now you're talking about you, you know, stuff like that. But follow me. Don't judge me. But follow me in this way. Have you ever seen this documentary? It's called Happy. Now, this is fascinating because it's on uh, prime time, prime time, prime something on Amazon. You can get it on iTunes. You can get, can't get it on uh, Netflix. But I, I want to encourage you to watch this because there's a whole documentary that goes around the world looking at people about being happy, how they're happy. And so they, they come out in that documentary on six factors which the pursuit of happiness and how people achieved happiness and how they achieved, quote, the good life. And it's interesting because when you look at, watch a documentary, you'll see how consistent it is with the Word of God, how exactly it is with the Word of God. And you're just going, man, the Word of God written thousands of years ago and we're seeking happiness, just get in the Word of God and see what it says. Follow me on this. One of the first ones is this, is happiness is not prim primarily about circumstances. Hello, that's all my happiness is dependent on. When things are going right, my wife, wife and I are connecting and all of this stuff, ooh, I'm happy. But if there's tension with the church or tension, oh man, I'm down in the dumps. Am I the only one that? Okay, good. Now let me follow this. Let's look at statistics. 50% of your happiness is based on genetic makeup. 40% can be developed through intentional activity. 10% is based on external circumstances you may or may not be able to control. What did your pastor focus on? The 10%, right? What, what will happen? We're going to Circus Soleil. Circus Soleil today? That tent's going to collapse and we're going to get killed. Okay, my luck, we're, you know, and all this. You know how you worry about lost stuff? And so when I go in public like this, I go, where's exit, where's exit, where's exit, where's exit? You know, I don't know. I know I'm not the only one that does that, okay, that you're doing, because that's a 10% that can ruin the whole, the whole circus. When I'm looking at the exit door and not trusting everyone. And so, and it's, okay. So this is important because 40% can be developed through intentional activity. 40% intentional activity. Now, let me show you this. Apostle Paul did this. Intentional activity. Follow me. He goes, I have learned. Okay? I have learned. You get that? Now, this is where... And Paul also talks about transformation begins by the renewing of one's mind. So he says, I've learned to be content in any circumstances. So it was intentional activity. 
I know the experience of being in need or having more than enough. I have learned the secret of being, uh, being content in any and every circumstance, whether full of hunger or whether having plenty or being poor. I can endure all things through the power of one who gives me strength. Do you see how he gravitated that 40%? Boom, he learned, he got it, he figured it out through the power through Jesus Christ. The second one is the experience of flow is connected to, to happiness. Flow is basically doing something we love that is challenging enough to keep us focused. What do you love to do? Basically, when you're doing this, when I'm putting sermons together and when I'm preaching and I feel like I'm connecting with people, then I'm in the flow. This is something that challenges me to do because this is not natural for me. And so therefore, it allows me to keep focused. And therefore, I'm very happy about this. And so basically, it's saying, you watch the worship team. We got an incredible worship team that when they're in the flow, when they're playing together, just jamming together, it's incredible. And so when you see, see people that are playing off each other, they're in the flow. They're in what we call the rhythm or being in the zone. And basically that flow is being what God has called you to be. Whatever that vision, whatever that goal is in your life. In a practical way, we experience love. God loves us and created us to enjoy things and to be challenged by things, to grow through things. And so, so we read stories of Jesus interacting with people and responding to them with love in the moment. And this is what we're called. Number three in that uh, that we learn is money will not buy you happiness. And we've learned in the series that it can't, but studies show this, and I put it on the screen, that once your basic needs are met, more money does not equal more happiness. So why do we pursue it? You know, Howard Hughes, they asked him, how much money do you need? He goes, just a little bit more. <laughs> just a little bit more, I like that one. It's true, isn't it? When you were in your high school and you realize, okay, my house is worth this much, my house is this much, and I go, wow, I'll be so happy. You're not happier. You know, it almost has a reverse kind of thing if you think about this. And so, in fact, showing love in a real way helps others meet their basic needs. This is why it's spy is such a big thing. You know what the thing is? When Maria shared today, she goes, I'm going to cry. And then Brooke has to throw me under the bus. He cries all the time. <laughs> but those weren't tears of sorrow. Those were tears of joy. When we start getting out our, outside of ourselves, that brings joy to us, doesn't it? That's how you and I are created. That's why in four, happiness is found in the loving community. Happiness is not founded in Facebook. Just because you got, I, I got a bunch of likes on one thing that I was going, yes, I'm loved, you know. And, and this is true. I, I posted something else, and within, I think, 20 minutes, I got one like. I deleted the stupid thing. I go, you all die, okay? <laughs> and so that's not a community where we would just not talk to each other and do this. Or I can't do the hard thing with the tremor, but this the love. And so this is where it shows you 
that and, and, and um, some of the big businesses in downtown LA, big business, they increase meetings because sometimes this is the only community that they have is in meetings. And we hate meetings. Well, my staff does when I lead them, but that we do hate them. And so because people are so lonely and so isolated that they just thrive for any type of community. Back on the screen, we are built for love and love is only possible through community. You have to. That's why Christ established the church. That's why we're called Marina Christian Fellowship because it's important to have community. I always say you get what you put in in church. If you just come in, not say anything and disappear, and you wonder why no one cares for me. You don't care for anyone else either. It's, it goes both ways. You build community by getting out of your comfort zone and building it. And so this community, a lot of people that go to church are afraid they're gonna be judged. This is why our mantra is no judgment, only love. And so when we know that we're part of a community, that I'm not worried about being judged, then I can truly be who I am and who God has called me to be. Then I really can get into the flow of life and do what I really enjoy doing. It all works out. Five, happiness comes from serving people. It really does. And so that's why spies is such a big deal here. That's why serving others is such a big deal. This is why we do angel tree with the kids. It's serving things. Number six, thankfulness and focusing on love leads to happiness. Can I be totally content and hate life at the same time? Without an attitude of gratitude, without a thanks, being thankful, there's no way in the world that I can be happy, right? So we have to start rethinking our lives to be thankful for. This is why the series on the screen, I put God's grace leads us to be grateful, which leads us to give. And that's how we, we need to be giving. This is why I wanna, um, um, if you're taking grace track, and the grace track is coming up pretty soon, so I wanna encourage you guys to take grace track. We do what's called contemplative prayer which basically part of the contemplative prayer is silent prayer of being grateful, of, of thanking the things that you and I have taken for granted. You go through a crisis in life, then you, all of a sudden you're thankful for things that you weren't thankful about, right? You, those near-death experiences, oh, you have a whole new attitude about life. You really do, and why? Sometimes it's best not to have those near-death experiences and then have, before that, and have a gratitude of attitude. That's why I say every day is a gift from God, use it wisely. And so, as I close today, Taryn, who is an incredible singer, I love her to death, and I told her, don't mess up for next week. <laughs> is that wrong? Twice. Because next week's important to me. Now, I can mess up because that's what I do every Sunday, you know. But she sang this song, and I love this song because usually it's an upbeat song before we come, but it's an incredible song that she sang today. I wanted to share some of the, the lyrics. It says, the good life has little to do, this is not the lyrics, the good life has little to do with what we have acquired. It has little to do with success. 
Instead, it has to do with all the little things done with great love. We are, the mo we are most like God when we humbly go about doing the little sacrificial acts of love that often goes unnoticed. When we begin to live in Christ's love, we stop chasing the wind. Now, this is the lyrics of the song that we just, uh, that she just sang. Oh, the deeds forgotten, oh, the works unseen, every drink of water flowing graciously, every tender mercy you're making glorious. This you have asked us, do little things with great love, little things with great love. Can you imagine if we did this within our marriages, within our families, within our community, within our work, where we realize this is the trueness of happiness and joy when we give, and this is where we live life to the fullest? Can we practice that this week? Can we do it? Can we experience the moments of contentment? That's what I ask, moments of contentment. Moments of joy and moments of happiness in spite of your circumstances. May God bless you. May God bless his word.
At the table of our Savior Oh, no mouth will go unfed And his children in all the shadows Stream in and raise their heads Oh, give us ears to hear them Oh, give 